was just seeing if my clicker works and maybe if you can bring it down because it's start perfect in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen we are continuing a sermon series as we talk about success and failure we're talking about god's word for our every day and we've covered a few things we've covered uh, parenting we've talked about uh so we're parenting and then also marriage and i think it makes some sense to immediately follow we're going to move this way to the end but i think it makes some sense to talk about success and failure in those realms because that's pretty important and there's a reason why we're talking about success. If you talk about uh, as a culture, would you say we're a culture that enjoys success or a culture that's, you know, like just average is good? Like, we, yeah, we win, we win the uh, Revolutionary War. And then from then, I think we've had a lot of military success. You look at our world wars, we're undefeated. You look at um, how we're doing in like other wars, we generally do well. Look at the Summer Olympics. I feel pretty good when I go to the Summer Olympics. I don't watch the Winter Olympics. That's too depressing. Uh, but the Summer Olympic, I do watch the, the Winter Olympics, but it's not as exciting when we, we're not even on the, like the, the level for po- uh, the, uh, the medal count. But Summer Olympics, thankfully because of swimming, we're the number one nation on the whole planet. So this feels good. And even I think as a culture, this is kind of what we instill. We, we appreciate culture. We look up to culture. I mean, we look up to success, and this is something that's a big deal. If you'd look around at the people that you think, this is one of my heroes, I'm guessing that that person's a relatively successful person. And I'm guessing whether it's in sports or whether it's in business or whether it's a parent, you would say that's a successful parent. That's a successful athlete. And I'll, and I'll kind of give you an idea why we're so driven that way. If you see someone who is at the peak of their performance, if you're a sports fan, and then they retire, does your heart go out a little bit? This, this happened to me for Barry Sanders. I mean, I hate, I hate the Detroit Lions. Um, you don't really have to hate the Detroit Lions because they never win. So you can say, like, the Detroit Lions are there. But Barry Sanders was the best. And I loved watching Barry Sanders. And then suddenly he retires. I don't know how old he was. He wasn't even 30, I don't think. Someone, is there, I was going to ask if there's a Detroit Lions fan that would know how old Barry Sanders was when he retired. There's two ways you could do this. One is just ask people when you're preaching. The other is actually do some research before you start. So we're just going to pretend that he wasn't even, I think he was like 30 or 31. He's still in the prime of his life and he could have led, no doubt, got the records for all these things. So that, like, that hurts. Or you see someone who's at the peak of their level and then they have to retire or because of injury. You see, this kind of, does that make you feel bad? Why? Because we like success. Do you ever see someone who is brand new and they have all this potential and then they can't do it? Does that, do you like, yeah, take that? Or does your heart kind of go out for them? Number one draft pick, 2017, just got traded, if you watch basketball at all. So he had funky shot, Marquis, I can't, I don't even know his first name because I only read it. Um, Fultz is his last name, but he was unbelievable in college, played for Washington, and then he's the number one pick, and he was terrible. In fact, he couldn't, like, make any buckets. They redo his shot. He's got a shoulder issue, and now he's traded to another team, and he hasn't really done anything. Like, that makes my heart hurt because this is a guy who had all these aspirations, and the world is saying, you're going to be amazing, you're going to do something fantastic, and it's not working out. But we like success, right? We like to measure things. How many of you went to school with no grades? I actually did. Seminary, they do not give you grades. Did you know that? You can get your grades. You can figure them out. I, I graduated with honors, naturally. So, you, they, <laughs> so they, they, you can get your grades, but they don't really tell you your grades. So most places, it gets measured, right? You get a test, and you want to know how you did. You work for someone. You get an employee, uh, an employee evaluation. What do they do? They probably give you some numbers, and they tell you if you're doing well or if you're not doing well. How does that feel? feels good, right? Like we want to achieve. Most of us are achievers. We want to do well. If you live in Castle Rock or you live around here and you can afford to live around here, my guess is you do reasonably well at the things you do, right? And my guess is you do reasonably well or you're a terrible NBA player. Those are the two options to be able to afford to live here. But most of the time, you're pretty good at what you do. And so it makes some sense. I'm going to just move these. 
We had someone nice enough to sit in the second row over there. I'm not going to hurt you for that. So we're in a culture that we measure things, we measure grades, we like these things. And even if you don't like public recognition for your success at work or at school, you might be like, oh, I hate when they mention my name or they put my name over the loudspeaker. I guarantee you like that you are doing well. Right? You're like, oh, no, no, I wish, no, I don't need an award. Please don't give me one of these clear plastic things. You know, I don't need that. But it sure feels good to know that you're one of the better employees. It sure feels good to know that you're one of the better people in the class. It feels good to know that you're one of the better people as a parent and things like that. So this, all of these things we're wrestling with when it comes to success. And this is the passage that I think of. At that time, Jesus approached, uh, as the time approached for him to be taken up into heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And I think this one's kind of interesting when we talk about success in general, because maybe you had the special hand of God that touched on you and all your success comes easily. But my guess is you would lean more towards this. The success you have in life is because you have sacrificed, because you have worked hard, because you have persevered and you faced the grind and you have made it to where you're at. So how many here would say, yeah, I just got the the hand of God and everything came to me naturally? That's all the people we work with, right? You work with someone, you're like, oh yeah, the Lord just blessed them. They never have to try, but me, I've got to try. I've got to work and I've got to do this grind. And so where does this all come to? We live in a culture that appreciates success. We fight, 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 and we work. And I think most of us think of as someone who really gave up stuff and really works hard, that any success we have has been given to us. And there's a phrase um, that they, they talk about. Here's success, and there's failure in the middle, and we'll talk about that. We've battled through failures, right? You've battled through things that have been hiccups. You've battled through setbacks, and you have made it. You've slid in down, and people have tried to hold you back. But the success you have, you have gotten. And here's God's warning for you. And if you look in, this is in Deuteronomy, it's very clear. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, here's his warning. Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. When, when I see success, I mean, there's a lot of jealousy that comes on to some degree when you see someone who has a really nice car or something, they have a very nice house or they've got a big savings account or they're very successful at what they do. But part of my heart goes out too to say like, do you know how hard it would be to be that successful and still have a relationship with God? Because most of the time we identify the stuff that we're pretty good at. And, I, and I've said that before. We identify the things. Most of us don't identify things we're lousy at, right? I don't identify with doing laundry. Like, that's not my identity because I'm not very good at it. Or at least that's what I tell my wife. <laughs> right, right? Right? I mean, you don't identify with these things, right? It, you identify with the things that you're pretty good at. So if you're a pretty decent parent, you, like, think that I'm a good parent. If you're pretty good at your job, you think that's what I do. I'm pretty good with money. This is the things I identify with. And there's a really interesting phrase, a smarter pastor than I said it, but it basically goes like this. If your identity is in anything other than Christ, your, the successes go to your head and the failures go to your heart. And this is going to be kind of the theme that we're talking about when we talk success and failure. When your identity is in anything other than Christ, the successes go to your head and the failures go to your heart. And I want to give you an example. The people who have, have success, and many of you are successful, this could be the most successful time of year. The warning that God is giving you now is you've got to be careful. 
Because I think harder than failure, when people fail, they often turn to God. People call to me. Uh, they're struggling with cancer. They say, Pastor, you pray for me. And, you know, I'm studying through scripture. Someone is struggling with uh, infertility or someone is struggling with a divorce or someone is struggling with an addiction. Constantly, they're not saying, hey, I just don't want to leave God out of this and I'm going to do this on my own. When people are struggling, they say, I need help. And if we have that mindset that says the success that I've gotten is from me and not from God, I think it's pretty easy to forget the one who has pushed us all the way there. So success is so dangerous. Why do we want people to have it? A lot of you have kids. Why do you want your kids to have success? A number of years ago, this is 1994, I think it's April or May of 94, Kurt Cobain committed suicide. If you knew that, I think he's probably one of the, the legend of people that are about 27 years old. Committed suicide. He had a daughter. She was 10 months old at the time. She never met him, apparently. But this is her phrase. Uh, my relationship to money is different because she just turned 25. Is this math li lining up? Let me just see. Yes, okay. She just turned 25, and she's getting money from the Kurt Cobain estate. And if you don't know music at all, this was he was a grunge guy in Seattle, and it was Nirvana, the band. Is this sounding familiar to anybody? Okay, so <laughs> you guys all nodded in agreement, so it looked like you were headbanging. So that was perfect. Like, <laughs> you guys know Nirvana? Oh, yeah, we know Nirvana. <laughs> So, so, so she gets, I'm going to tell you how much money a month in a second. Um, it's like a giant loan that I can't, I can never get rid of, Francis said. I, I have an almost foreign relationship to it and a guilt because it feels like money from somebody that I've never met, let alone earn myself. So she feels this guilt because she's getting this money from this estate. Why does she get this money from her estate? Because her father and the people that l know her father said, you know what, this is going to be good for her. We want to give her success. We want to try and pave the way for this kind of success, and this would be good. Do you know how much money she gets a month? Less than $100,000 a year, but like $100,000 a month, I mean. So don't just do the math in your head. Like, what would my life be like if I got $1.2 million every year? But everyone, you know how many people just looked down and went, oh. Do you know how many 2007 Volkswagens I could buy with $100,000? I could buy everyone on the whole planet, actually. So this, is, this would be amazing, right? And, and you see this money, you see the success. So if you, and, and this is what's hard, when the, it's not so much your own success. I think when you talk about the people that you care about, we want them to succeed. So then we get that concept, right? This is the lawnmower parenting we talked about last week. And, and you know, we're all jumping on it because the next generation, someone sent me an article that is talking about they don't have coping skills. Because, you know, we've, we've mowed down every obstacle in their way because we want them to have success. So this is what's at odds, right? God says, be careful for success because it's so easy to forget me. Yet as a parent and as a dad and as a husband, I want success for the people that I care about. Why? Like, why, why is that so important? Why does Kurt Cobain want to make sure his daughter has money for the rest of her life? Why? Because failing's the worst. Failing's awful. And if you think about, like, moments in your life when you had failed, would you want to go back to those moments? Think about, like, the worst times of your life where you have utterly failed. You, like, stretched out, and you asked somebody on a date or something, and then you just got totally rejected. Or think about the time you applied for this job and you think, okay, I'm really going to do it. And you actually tell people you apply for the job and you don't get it. Or think about a time where there's two people going for a promotion and the other person gets it. How does that feel? 
you know, I, I don't make it in the lame world of sports, but I, I, I can tell you my lame world of sports is I didn't make the freshman basketball team, and I like, this is not a big school. It's 600 kids, and 15 people made the team. I don't make it. And so this was like a depressing time for me, and then I played football. At, the order was actually flipped. I was third string. Two times in my life, I love football, and I love sports, and I, and I was a worker, and I loved it, and I really wanted to do it. And I told you the whole thing, how I tricked them into saying I was a quarterback. I was actually a lineman and like peewee football, but I, they got there and they're, what position do you play? And I'm like, quarterback, what, what's it look like I play? I mean, <laughs> I was a hundred and, uh, I was a, what should I weigh? 102 pounds, all muscle though. I mean, it was <laughs> so I was, I was, my son who's in sixth grade outweighs me right now. That's how tiny I was. And they're like, I'm a quarterback and I, I'm sure it looked like tiny. And I said, this is what I'm going to do. But I failed there. I failed there. Um, I, you just think about all these things. You try and get into the school I wanted to get into school. I didn't get into the college I wanted to get into. I, I wanted to go to, I'm just thinking about all these failures, and when I finally become a pastor, right, and I go, and I get assigned, and I start these Bible basics classes, so you go and talk to people and say, hey, do you want to come to my class? I've told you this, the first three times, no one showed up, and I've never told anyone. The fourth time, Susan, my neighbor, came, and after three times, she quit. <laughs> right? I'm like, can I just pay you to keep coming? I mean, like, you don't have to join the church. Like, and I'm supposed to start a church. And I'm supposed to be reasonably good at this. But there's this failure and this failure and this failure. It is the worst feeling in your life. It's the worst feeling when you try for something and it fails. Or you, you say, okay, I'm going to go for this competition. Uh, Badger Boy State, I got, you know, selected to be part of this group of representatives. Two from each school. And you go there and they had this competition, I remember, to go for governor of, like, this makeup thing. And I did my speech. And I thought, okay, that wasn't that bad. And then I saw guys who were professional, basically. This is what they did. And I, my jaw just dropped. I'm like, they're unbelievable. Each of those times that you failed, is that something you would want to give to somebody else? The pain that you're suffering now, let's just say it's sickness, would you want to give that to someone else? I broke about seven uh, appendages, two arms and wrists and things like that. Is that something I wish I could give to someone else? Like just going by, it's like, hey, I wish this pain could go to my mom. No, no. I mean, you, as a, a person who understands people, you say, I want to take my own pain, but I don't want anyone else to express that. So when you have kids, do you want your kids to break their arm? No, you give them all these warnings and you say, no, 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 you can't do that. Do you want your kids to fail in school and apply for something and not make it? How does it feel like when they really try and they're like, hey, dad, should I try out for the musical? And you're like, of course you should try out for the musical. You know, I never would have done it. I didn't have the guts to do it, but you should. You should do it. And they try out for the musical or something and they don't get the part they want. How does that make your heart feel? I actually get lawnmower parenting. Like I kind of make fun of it and things like that. Like you can't take the obstacles away because people can't cope. I get it because failure is way worse. It is way worse than anything in the whole planet. And it doesn't feel good to be rejected. And it doesn't feel good for no one to care. So I think it makes sense for us to say, I'm going to do whatever possible to take this away. And what's really interesting is we see an example of this as we talk about failure. Uh, this is the disciples. As the time approached for him to be taken up into heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And you're thinking, okay, this is Jesus, the greatest of all time. And everyone on the whole planet basically knows him. And he sent messengers ahead, right? He's planning his, his mission. He sends them ahead, who went ahead into Samaritan village to get things ready for him, that the people there did not welcome him because he was headed for Jerusalem. Number one, if we talk about success and then we talk about failure, failure is inevitable. 
Jesus had what we would consider from a human perspective failures. Like, this is not a win. He sends the guys ahead, and the, the disciples are like, oh, yeah, we, we, the Savior of the world is in our company. We are his disciples. They go, and they get everything ready, and he shows up. How would you feel? This is really interesting. How would you feel if the person you were backing got rejected? Kind of like when your kids get rejected, and you would be pretty mad. Here's the response of the disciples. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked the Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? When I was a kid, um, when I was a kid, there's a kid uh, across the street, Brett Catlin, and I tell a couple Brett Catlin stories. So the number one was when I took uh, poppy seeds and I put them in my mouth and he said, what are those? And I told him they were mouth picks. This is the, this is the same guy. Um, so one time, Chris was across, he was kind of a bullyish kid, but he dunked Brett's head in our rain bucket. So my dad caught the water in the rain. Actually, he didn't even do anything with it. He would just catch it into a bucket. He didn't, like, water anything with it, but he caught the bucket, but he dunked Brett's head in this rain bucket, and we're all like, oh, that wasn't a good idea. And suddenly, Brett goes home, and his dad comes. And when you know the things like your dad's bigger than my dad, Brett's dad's bigger than all our dads. So he starts coming over, and he is chasing, this is an adult man chasing, like, a fifth grader around the car, and the kid doesn't even know what to do. He's freaking out because he's like, his, like steam is shooting out of his ears because he says, do you want to get your head dunked? Like, you get that, right? I get that. I, but this is my question. What does Jesus need now and what do we need when we face failure? Do you need someone that says, I, when you get cut from the basketball team, you know what, I'm going to call the coach. Make this right. When you get laid off, do you need someone to call your boss to say we're going to make we're ne you're never going to get laid off again? Is that what you need? Jesus rebukes them. He turns to them. And he rebukes them. He says, "Then he and his disciples went to another village." That is not what you need. Is someone to try and fix the situation? You need someone with perspective. You need someone to come alongside you to tell you that your failure doesn't mean you're a failure. It just means you failed at something. Because I think we, most of us would agree that failure is a good thing on a lot of parts. Right? I mean, it, you, you read these things. Abraham Lincoln had so many elections and he failed, I think, like four or five times. And then you read, that's a lie. Every time but presidency. That takes some guts right there. That takes some guts. If if you fail at a local level, just keep moving up. That's, what, that's, that's the way to do it. Yeah, so he failed multiple times. There's a quote about Michael Jordan, right? You never make the shots you, uh, you don't take. And there's all these things. Okay, failure is good. Failure is good. And then you get like 409 cleaners, right? Clerks took 409 tries to get their cleaner right. I mean, just to nail this. Heinz 57, you know, like all these things. Thomas Edison uses the same thing. I forgot what it is. It's like 1,200. And he said, I didn't. I didn't fail 1,200 times. I figured 1,200 ways not to make a light bulb, right? This is what he said. And so we, we see these inspirational posters, and we're like, yeah, failure is good. Failure is good. Is there a time in your whole entire life that when you have failed, you said this is good? You fail something as simple as the freshman boys basketball team and through tears, not that I was crying. I mean, this is hypothetical. <laughs> you talk to your parents, and they said, how you doing? I'm like, good news. I got cut, right? Has that ever happened to you? Good news, I wasn't selected. 
Good news, someone didn't want me. Good news, she dumped me. Good news that she didn't say yes. Good news that he said, uh, I want a divorce. Like, good news when you face failure. Is there anybody here who, in the midst of their failure, said this is the best thing that's ever happened to me? What's really strange, though, that when you talk about failure, when your kids fail, you ever notice that you have a little bit of perspective? Maybe they ask some boy out, and you know the boy's not that great, and the boy says no, and you're going, this isn't so bad, right? Right? Do you ever notice, like, there's a little bit of distance. When I was, like, six, I'd look at a two-year-old making silly mistakes. I'd be like, ah, the two-year-old's an idiot. Then I'm nine, and then I look at the six-year-old, I'm like, six-year-old's an idiot, right? And now you're 15, you're looking back, and you're looking back, and you look back. I'm 42, I'm looking at the 30-year-old self, and I'm saying, I can't believe you would do that. There's somebody looking at me now in the midst of the failures I've had, to say, like, you know what? This isn't that big a deal, man. You don't need someone to try and mow down all the trouble in your world. I don't think. You need someone who can give you perspective. And the perspective for Jesus was he was on his way to Jerusalem. Why did the Samaritans reject him? Not because they, they, they didn't like Jesus or they didn't like his disciples, but because he was on his way to Jerusalem. They, they had this fight between the Jews and the Samaritans, but he was on his way, and why was he, what was he on his way to do? perspective he was on his way to go to a cross and even though he's rejected in the short term he said this rejection is not the one i'm looking for the rejection i need is to be rejected by god all of us know that failure is good failure is inevitable and all of us have a perspective that we can come alongside someone they don't need you to mow things down what they need you to do is to have someone come alongside them to say give you some perspective you know where you get the clearest perspective in God's word. Apostle Paul had to wrestle through this. I'll just give you one example here. Apostle Paul said, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be, this is a reading for today, I would not be a, a fool because I would be speaking the truth. He's saying like these revelations that he had received. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassing great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me. We have no idea what this is. There's all kinds of conjecture what it is. We have no idea. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. He, he suffered something, and in his mind, he said, I could be the greatest creature of all time. Yet, God, if you just take this away from me, but he, he never did. God wanted him to have some perspective. God wanted him to understand. And, and sometimes we don't understand why this stuff works. I just listened to a parable, and this is going to sound super corny out loud because I shared it with Vicar, and it sounds super corny out loud. But the gist of it is this. There's a farmer. <laughs> you're just looking at me like, I can't believe you're using this. Oh, we're going to nail it. All right, thank, th thanks for the confidence. So I, I just heard this for the second time. I'm like, all right, I heard it for the second time. But there's a farmer who had a horse, and the horse runs away, right? And his neighbors come, and they said, oh, that's so unfortunate. I can't believe your bad luck and, and that the, your horse ran out of gray. And he goes, well, maybe. So then the horse comes back and has two other wild horses with it. Like, and they're like, this is amazing. This is good. Like, you got two extra horses because your horse just ran away how blessed you are that this worked out for you. And he goes, maybe. So his son wants to learn how to ride one of the wild horses, and he jumps on the wild horse, and he rides around for a while, but then he falls off and breaks his leg. And they're like, oh, 
that's so unfortunate about your son breaking his leg. And you can guess what's the farmer say. Maybe, right? And so, and then, the, so he's mending his leg, and then the army comes by trying to find abled, young-bodied men, and they don't take his son because of his significant limp. And they say, you know, this is such a blessing that they didn't take your son because of his limp. And he says, maybe, right? It is impossible. It is impossible when we talk about our successes and our failures to be able to have perspective when you live in the moment. And I think what the, the gist of lawnmower parenting when we get to it and lawnmower friending to our friends is that we try and get so in the moment with the person we're stuck in that same perspective and what they need is someone to be able to step back. I don't know what is good and what is bad in the moment. I don't know if it's good if I get sick. I don't know if it's good if I have a tragedy. I don't know if it's good if my daughter gets in a car accident or my son gets a concussion like he did just yesterday. I don't know what good is going to come from that. I can pretend. But we do have some perspective, and God says simply this. Be careful when you succeed, because it's easy to fall for me. And in my failure, in my failure, then you remember that's where you are made strong. When you think about Jesus and earthly success, did Jesus ever have, like, an amazing job? Did Jesus ever have, like, political power? Did Jesus have the respect of all the people, of his colleagues? Did Jesus even have a house? Did Jesus have money? But we'd say success because he recognized his true purpose in life, a spiritual purpose. So if I would say step back, and his true purpose was this, so that your identity is not in your successes. Your identity is in Christ. And when you know that you are forgiven, and when you know your sins are wiped away, and you know that you go out to this world, and you're going to face a situation where all the people around you are going to say, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to you, you can say, maybe. Maybe, because maybe this is the thing that's pulling me from God. And when you have the lowest of low, and you say, this is the worst thing, and your friends are coming around you, trying to get in that perspective and mow all the things down, and you can say, maybe. But there is one thing we know for sure that's not a maybe, that Christ has come, Christ has lived, Christ has take your sins away, and he has made you a success already. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are humbled. We're humbled to know that you cared enough about to just to put all things aside. You resolutely went to Jerusalem knowing full well that that meant suffering, that meant death, that meant uh, going to a cross, but it also meant the greatest success of all time, that you had defeated sin, you have defeated the devil, you've defeated all these things that plague us. We live in a world that goes up and down, and from day to day we think, hey, this is the day where it's actually working, or here's the day, it's the worst day of my life. We pray that we have perspective in your word, because that's what your word can give us. Time gives perspective, and our friends that have lived longer than us have perspective. You've lived longer than any of us. You created the world, you're eternal, and you can look down on us and say, here's perspective. I am arranging your life. I am arranging things to happen so that you come closer and closer and closer and closer to me and so that we can know forgiveness, and in that moment, we can give that same biblical perspective to the people that we love, not just trying to mow down obstacles, but instead come alongside and be a guide to them so they can see so clearly the love of you. We ask this in your name. Amen.